You are listening to audio from The Creek Church. If you would like more information about The Creek, please be sure to visit our website at thecreekfw.com. baptism weekend. It's one of my favorite things that we get to do. I love it, love it, love it. So thank you for being here. I'm excited about it. I mean, there's a lot of things that I'm excited about coming up. And, and I've got to tell you, July is just not my favorite month of ministry because it's just, it's hot and, and everything feels like out of whack. So I'm ready for August and I'm ready for, honestly, I'm ready for school to start. I know the students aren't, but man, I am because I want that routine. I feel like Rain Man. I need my routine, and it's not happening right now. If you don't know what Rain Man is, I'm sorry. Um, but uh, uh, in September, we've got a series we're going to be doing as a church family. It's called a Super Series, and we're naming it Engage. And every ministry is going to be doing this together. So our preschool ministry, our elementary ministry, student ministry. Uh, we'll be doing uh, teachings in here, and then our life group ministry is going to be doing the same thing. So right now, um, life group discussions are being written. There's daily devotions that are being written for our series that starts in September. And I want to I want to encourage you as a, if you're a core member, if you make the church a regular uh, place that you're coming, then here's what I want to challenge you to do. Um, I want you to do one of two things. I want you to either get in a life group uh, by September. Um, or I really want to challenge you, if God's put it on your heart, to start a life group. Let us help you launch a life group uh, with people in the church and people in your community because September's all about engaging and engaging the world around us, getting outside of the church, and just really doing exactly what our vision talks about. It's setting, setting people in relationship with God, in uh, freedom, in family, and in motion. And so uh, I love that we get to do that. So you can see us at the Welcome Center or the TV that has the map of the um, uh, where the small groups are, the, the life groups are. Um, see us out there, and then we'll get you hooked up and get you trained. So if you got your Bible, go to Luke chapter 18. We're finishing our series, Are We There Yet, this weekend. And so, yeah, we're there at the end of the series. And I've waited six weeks to say that. But uh, it's a story about the rich young ruler. And just so we can set some things up front, um, because some of y'all are like, oh, great. So come on, baptism weekend, you're going to talk about money. It's not about the money, okay? This is a story about, about this man, the rich young ruler, that ultimately goes beyond the money. And, and here's the thing, reason pastors, because if you grew up in church like I did, you might have seen some abuses with money. And for that, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, we do some things differently here uh, at the creek. We don't pass a plate. We have giving stations in the back because your giving is, is two things. It's an act of worship, and it's between you and God. Um, the other thing in that that we stand on with our faith as a church is, is I don't trust you for the provision of the church. I trust God, and here's the beauty. God does it through you, through me, through us. And so if God puts on your heart to give, be obedient. If God tells you not to do something, be obedient. If you don't trust the church to put your money in, put your money somewhere that's doing some good in the community. So, um, but today, it's not about the money. Jesus is going to confront this guy, the rich young ruler, because uh, Jesus can see the heart. He is God. And so he can see the heart and perceive the heart, and that's what he's going to address with this man. It's, gonna, it's really a, an issue about idolatry, and, and idolatry is simply this. It's anything we put in the place of God. And so let, let's, look at this, let's look at this young man, the rich young ruler. So Luke 18, verse 18 says, And a ruler asked him, asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So, so the guy's setting this up with Jesus. We already see that he's seeking something, 
and something's missing in his life. And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother. And, and the man said, all these I've kept from thy youth. And Jesus said this, you're a liar. No, I'm just kidding. He didn't say it. He should have said that, right? Honor your father and your mother. Yeah, right. I mean, we bust that one out at the toddler age, right? I mean, by three years old, none of us have committed adultery or murdered somebody, but we've all dishonored our parents. I saw it last night firsthand. We did a family night, summer fun night last night, and our food trucks canceled on us, crazy people. But uh, it's too hot. But um, we ordered pizza, had a movie in here, had a just awesome time. But the ice truck, so the snow cone truck didn't cancel because they're like, look, I get to stand in here with all the ice. I'm making money. And so there was a line for this thing, and there was all, uh, all these great flavors. I, and I almost had a little bit of a moment because I saw on the side sign, it, it had specialty ones. And I was like, like mojito, sangria. What, what did y'all order here at the church, man? <laughs> Bourbon and all this. All the guys were like, yeah, you finally got an adult ice cream truck. So... <laughs> anyway, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. I saw a three-year-old have his first snow cone ever. It was awesome. He hit a sugar rush. Like, I mean, it was like watching a rocket take off. I mean, and then somehow he ended up drinking half of his mom's because we were talking, and she looks over, and he's like, wow. I mean, he's not just sipping. He is gulping this thing. And he was, he was insane. It was awesome. She said, he's never going to go to sleep. I said, yeah, he'll he'll hit the wall later, maybe about midnight. He'll hit the wall. He'll go to sleep eventually. But that's a difference. I look at this so different as a grandpa. It's awesome. Give the kids sugar. You know, you're taking them home. I'm not. So anyway, honor your father and mother. And and some of y'all like, keep the kids away from Matt. Um, When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. So, so Jesus doesn't mince his words. He is very serious about what he's saying. He's, he's really calling out the issue in this man's heart. He said, look, you, you, you've got your religious checklist. You think you've kept all these commandments. Good for you. Yay for you. you you're following this religious checklist. That's not doing it for you. You've got this money and you think that would insulate you, but yet you still find yourself empty and asking me for eternal life. And what must I do to find some deeper fulfillment, some greater sense of peace and satisfaction and ultimately salvation? And here's what you need to do. You need to go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. The invitation that Jesus is making to this man is follow me. Make me the ultimate. Make me the Lord of your life. Let me be Lord of everything in your life and come and follow me because I have a life that is better for you than you can imagine or with all your finances you can buy. It's a life better than you can pretend to have by following your religious checklist. And the invitation is to follow me. And now this, this isn't prescription, so this isn't for us to follow Jesus. We have to sell everything we have and give it away. What it means is that we have to have a heart completely submitted. We can't let anything be wrapping up our heart. And it says, when the the man heard this, he went away sad because he was extremely rich. And Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person in the kingdom of God. And then those who heard it said, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so 
Um, there's a lot of us that like to go, well, well, I don't have a lot of money, so this doesn't apply to me. I, I, I told you this a couple weeks ago, that if you make more than 50 bucks a month, you're in the top 1% of the world's wealth. So this verse just got real for you and I in the context of our culture. And what Jesus is saying is is it's not an issue about the money. It's all right to have money, but what we gotta be careful about is not letting the money have us. Whenever we give God-like qualities to money, then we've made it an idol. We've made it an issue. It doesn't have to be money. I mean, many people do it with relationship. They do it with their career. It's anything that we give a God-like attribute that says, this will be my source. This is what I seek. And Jesus said, how sad it is when people's hearts are so wrapped up and they can't let go. The problem is, and the reason he said it's a problem for rich people is because we tend to get ourselves insulated. I said we, because every one of us have more than anybody else in the world. We tend to isolate ourselves and insulate ourselves and start to, to create this hedge of protection around us that we can afford to do. And Jesus said, that's hard because you become reliant on yourself and your abilities. And what he says, what's impossible with man, our salvation, we can, it's impossible. We can't earn it. We can't buy it. We can't manufacture it. He said it's possible with God. So if you got, if you got heart issues related to money, heart issues related to other relationships, heart issues related to anything that you put before God, there's freedom in his name. There's freedom in the name of Jesus. I mean, what we celebrate with this tank is the freedom that Jesus brings us. There's nothing holy about this water. This is our celebration. This is a chance for us as the family to celebrate what Jesus has done through the power of his blood and the mighty name that he is. And we've had people come through this tank that, that we've seen freedom happen from addiction. We've seen freedom from, from, from relational abuse. We've seen freedom from, from all kinds of things that we get to celebrate the goodness of God. And what is impossible with us, the, the many testimonies, I tried everything, but God was the one who broke the chains. It's possible with God. And then I love Peter because Peter speaks up. Peter's kind of the loudmouth disciple, the no filter guy. Um, the one you, you secretly admire because he says what you think. But he's like, see, see, we've left everything. We've left our homes and followed you, Jesus we laid it all down. So he's trying to just, I think he's trying to remind Jesus, like, hey, 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 hey. You said come follow me, and I was sitting in the boat, and I left. I, I did. I went. And Jesus tells him, he said, look, there's, there's nobody who's left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time. And in the age to come, eternal life. So what, what Jesus is saying, and we can't get off into another gospel here. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that when, when, when we give 10, God gives 100. Don't, don't, don't mix it up here. What Jesus is ultimately saying is when you lay it all on the line for the kingdom of God, I got you. When you put it all out for me, when you say I'm submitting my heart completely and wholeheartedly for you, Jesus says, I got you. I'm your source. I'm your supply. I'm everything. You don't have to stop seeking everything from everywhere or everyone else. Because God says, I am your source. I'm, God wants to be your source for satisfaction. I mean, isn't it amazing that we try to find satisfaction everywhere, but I can't get none? 
This week, this week, we contributed to the, the Amazon success of Prime Day, um, and I ordered something, and uh, it, came, in the, it came, came by the, the white van. I'm about to give those guys a parking space in my driveway, but um, we should get frequent something miles with how much Amazon comes to our house. So, you know, you get the, the box within a box. So you open the box, and then inside is your package. And I open it up, and immediately I go, they're liars, lying, lying, lying. These people crazy. And it's like, what's the problem? I pull out the box, and the lie is written on the front of the box. Satisfaction guaranteed. How can you guarantee my satisfaction? You don't even know me. <laughs> I mean, so Heather has to put up with this all the time. So I go on this rant, like that's false advertisement. They can't guarantee my satisfaction. How can they, they can't, everything. Can you look at all the stuff that's marketed in front of us? This is what will satisfy you. If it doesn't, you'll get your money back. I mean, we cannot honestly say that anything other than Jesus Christ will satisfy us. And ultimately, what happens is when we seek satisfaction, we go to these empty wells. It's what Jesus was teaching the woman at the well in John chapter 4. When he said, this water right here, if you drink of this, you are going to be thirsty again. But when you drink the water I give you, it will satisfy you. You will never be thirsty again. And whenever we think of anything else as being satisfying other than Jesus Christ. And what happens is we've taken that and we've taken Jesus off of the throne and we've said, this is ultimately what will bring my satisfaction. And God wants to be the source of our satisfaction. He's the only one that can fulfill that promise. God wants to be our source of significance. Every one of us want to be valued. Every one of us want people to recognize us and love us. I think there's a major problem plaguing our culture today, in America especially. It's that we have abused or thrown out completely the scale of value. And what we've done is we've, we've elevated our value personally and we've diminished the value of others around us. And we walk around thinking we're the most significant person on the planet. And we completely disregard and devalue other people by, by our unfiltered rants on Facebook or by our seeming anonymity in the car. And, and we, we think there's no consequences to any of our actions or our rants because we valued ourselves above everybody else. Maybe I'm just preaching to me this morning. I don't know. You're getting real quiet now. But I think the issue that we have is that we're unwilling to see the, the God value in other people, that other people around us, the people that annoy you more than anything in the world have the same value in the eyes of Christ that you have. That while you and I were yet sinners, while we were dead in our transgression, dead in our trespasses, while we had no hope and no salvation, Jesus looked at us. He looked at you. He looked at me. And do you know what value he set on my life and on your life? He paid the same price for every one of us. It was his blood that was spilled on the cross. And when he sees us, he sees us as his righteousness. And our value and our significance comes from who we are in Christ. When we as the church, we as the church can change this. 
Because you and I have the power of the Holy Spirit in us to go out and affect and impact change in our communities and our cultures. And we can see neighborhoods change and we can see nations change because of the work of God in us where we see each other's value as through the blood of Christ. That you are no better than me and you are no worse than me because you and I are sinners that have been saved by grace and the grace of Jesus Christ and his blood that was paid for us. And when the church gets this message and we start actually living this in the community, then people's value systems start to readjust. And we find our significance in who we are in Christ. We find our value by him, not by our valuables. Not by what car we buy or what, what, what things we wanna insulate ourselves. So others people, other people look at that and go, he must be significant because he's got all this stuff. How many of us have spent Wasted time chasing all that and it never brought any significance. And God wants to be our source of security. This is a tough one because we, we confuse security and comfort all the time. And when you read scripture, I, let, me, let me just remind you as you read it, recognize something. God is more concerned with the character of those who follow Jesus than the comfort of those who follow Jesus. One of the men that, that had a radical transformation by Jesus was named Saul. His name was changed to Paul. Wrote over half of, actually more than half of the New Testament. Do you know where he wrote it from? Prison. There's nothing comfortable about Roman prisons. When I think about Paul, I think about kind of the tension that existed in his life. Remember the movie Princess Bride? when Wesley's on the Dread Pirate Robert ship and he says, good work today, Wesley. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. I think Paul may have lived in that tension. Today I work for the gospel, but most likely I'll be killed in the morning. There's no comfort in that. Paul says, you wanna kill me? Okay, that's game. Oh, you're gonna, you're gonna keep me alive. Okay, that's Christ. So you're gonna keep me alive. What am I gonna do while I'm alive? Oh, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna write another letter to the brothers and sisters in one of these cities and I'm gonna encourage them because the Holy Spirit's speaking to me and Holy Spirit, you got a message to say to your church and I'm gonna write that message out and I'm gonna encourage it and I'm gonna let that be an encouragement for the churches from this point for all time. See, see here's, God wants us to look like him in his character, not be comfortable. Nowhere does God promise that. How does he do that? It's, it's a beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. There, there was one artist that, that had made a beautiful granite statue of this stallion. And one of the, the people at the art exhibit said, how do you do that? I mean, how do you create, how do you take a chunk of granite and create something so beautiful? He said, well, I, I, I've never thought about how explaining it, how I can explain it, but really all I do is I, I take a hammer and a chisel and I take off everything of this block that's not a horse. I mean, in his mind, he can see it. And he says, this isn't a horse, I'm chiseling it off. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life and in your life. 
that you and I are called to be a reflection of Jesus to the world around us. And so the Holy Spirit looks at us and anything that's not Jesus, he begins to work on us and carve out and uses the word of God to begin to shape us and mold us and cut down and move things. And that's how he begins to develop in us the character. And ultimately, when we want security, it's only gonna be found in Christ Jesus. Money will not create our security. We will never have enough to be secure. We get into these dangerous traps of what do I do to get financial security? How do I feel secure in this? And when we make that our God, we pursue that and it's a never-ending pursuit. I get that we all have financial issues at times. Some of you are like, I've had a financial issue from the time I was born. Stop looking for something other than Jesus to be that source of security. If you've had financial issues all your life, can I, can I remind you of something? You're here now. You're alive. It hasn't killed you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to save you a lot of money on all these financial books and, and everything. There's two ways to fix financial issues. You get more coming in and you get less going out. I mean, it's not rocket science. But when Heather and I, I mean, Heather and I have gone through some major financial issues in our life. And here's what I've started doing. I pray for wisdom. Because if I've submitted my life to Jesus and he said, look, if you lay it down for me, I got you. So Jesus, you got me. I believe you. I trust you in that. You are my provision. That God, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. You have it all. I'm gonna trust you with this. I'm gonna pray for wisdom. And here's what is an amazing thing that happens in and I've seen it in our, our own personal finances, is that God begins to illuminate things and give us wisdom on how to be a better manager of what we've got. Maybe stop praying for more and pray how to be better with what you got. And if you need help, we're offering financial peace in the fall. You can, you can go to that. If you need help, we'll help you get into that. Get around people that can help and encourage you with that. But ultimately, I mean, here's just where Heather and I got. And this, was a, this is a fun thing. When we launched the church, we went, we went months without a paycheck. And I don't say that to get sympathy. I say that to show you that God is faithful. And we were in a rented house, and we, we were like, all right, so uh, what do you want for dinner tonight, rice or beans? You know, and, and I, I mean, we just got to that point, and, and we, we, we were stressing about it. Like, God, you see this. You see where our finances are. I mean, we've made these steps before in 2002. God called us out of the security of our, our corporate jobs to go into ministry. In 2009, God called us out of the comfort of our, our job at a great church to say, I want you to plant a church. And then here we are. It's like, oh, God, we, you ain't no money coming in. But Heather and I got to the point where we said, we trust you, Jesus. What's the worst that could happen to us? Uh, in reality, I mean, we, we, we knew we have, we have friends that aren't gonna, we're not gonna be in a box under a bridge. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? So we lose a house? So we lose a car? We still got each other. I still got my family and we're still serving the Lord. Man, to live is Christ and to die is gain, Right? When we have Jesus as the ultimate and we're pursuing him, there ain't nothing we gotta be afraid of. 
And, and, and ultimately, this, this rich young ruler is coming to Jesus, and he's saying, look, I've, my religion, all these rules that I've followed, that's leaving me empty. So what do I do, Jesus? I got this money, and that's not bringing anything. So ultimately, we're seeking significance, satisfaction, security, but what we're really looking for is salvation. And when we say, I'm going to look somewhere other than Jesus, then we're looking to something else or someone else to save us, and it's not going to live up to the promise. It's a bad trade-off. And all of us want to be in a place of peace, but before we get to a place of peace, we got to be in a place of obedience. And the rich young ruler says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? Eternal life is this, it's heaven. It's, it's that promise of God that when, when our body is sown into the ground, when we draw our last breath on this side of eternity, that we will be in the presence of God and we will be in heaven for those who have placed their trust and hope and faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. No one comes to the Father except through me, Jesus says. There's no other name under heaven by which men can be saved other than the name of Jesus. This gospel, this message of Jesus, the cross, the crucifixion, the resurrection, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This gospel is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek or to the Gentile. But that's, our, that's our ticket into heaven, and heaven is eternal life where there's peace, where everything is worked out already. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, God, it's already worked out in heaven. I want to live it out here. The peace that exists in heaven, I want to live here. The unity that exists in heaven, I want to live it here. And in order for us to live in that place of peace, we've got to be in a place of obedience, there has to be something that sets this direction for our life. And if you're not feeling peace, can I ask you this? Are you in a place of obedience? Are you doing what God is telling you to do? And some of you are like, I, I'm not hearing God say anything. Go back to the last thing he told you to do. And we look, we, 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 we look for that peace. We chase that peace of God. Can I tell you that peace of God is found in the obedient steps that we take? When God called Heather and I to, to leave corporate world and go into ministry, there was peace as we took a step of obedience. Like, I don't, I don't this doesn't make sense, but there's peace. When God called us to plant the church, it doesn't make sense. But we're gonna follow you, Jesus, and there's peace. And so when we think about this obedience in our life, it, it, we have difficulty obeying. But what, what, are we, what are we to pledge our obedience to? What are we to be obedient to what or who? We've gotta be obedient to the word. What is the word? The word is scripture. Who is the word? The word is Jesus. John chapter one says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So if I'm gonna find myself in a place of peace, I've gotta pursue the prince of peace. I've gotta be obedient to his word and, and, and God will never ask you to do something that contradicts his word. That's the importance of being in community. So you can begin to share with those, this is what I believe God's calling me to do. And, and there's people that can say, hey, let's go to the word of God on that. 
I don't always trust myself that I've heard God right. So I have to have people around me. I can say, this is what I feel God's called me to do. And I wanna make sure this lines up with the word of God because he will never say something that contradicts his word. He will never give you something that goes against his promises. And so when we start looking at these, it's, this, is, this is Jesus calling out this rich young ruler because he's got an idol set up in his life. He, he's, he's got his heart wrapped around his money. The money's not the issue. I mean, people say money is the root of all kinds of evils. That's not the truth. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. See, money is neutral. Money, I, I could lay 20 bucks out here and it could be used to put gas in your car. You can use it to buy gas or you can use it to buy crack. I don't know if 20 bucks will get you much crack. I haven't bought crack in a long time. So, so. I've never bought crack, okay? We need to pray for the pastor. Where's my tithe going? It's funny though, isn't it? But you get it. It's not the money. It's what my heart's intention with it is. And, and for some of us, money becomes that idol. For some, it's relationships. For some, it's, it's, it's jobs, it's careers, it's all of these things. And there's some questions I want you to work through this week on, on how to reveal if, if there's a, a false God that you're, you're submitting your obedience to. It, work through these questions this week. The first one is, what do I complain about the most? <laughs> We're all complaining about the weather right now. But I mean, let's get to the real core of issue. Do you complain about finances? Do you complain about, I mean, think about some of the just core things in your, in your life, in your family, in your marriage. What do you complain about the most? It could reveal that you're looking to those things to be your salvation and it's leaving you empty. I mean, you might complain about money, your job, politics. If you look into politics to save you, keep on looking, baby. What do I complain about the most? What do I sacrifice my time for? I mean, we, we all have a limited number of time. We have 24 hours in the day, and our days are numbered. What are we giving the best of ourselves to? What are we sacrificing the best of us for? If your life is just a cycle of trading dollars for days, um, it could reveal that money is an issue for you. It could reveal that there's some heart issues that God wants to work with you on. What do I worry about the most? This is probably one of the one, one more personal for me. It's not that I complain about it, but I, I can get into a worry. And, and, and this worry um, really just becomes unfruitful. And, and I've, had to, I've had to learn this from the Holy Spirit is that when I begin to get anxious thoughts and deal with anxiety, I just begin to thank God. It's Philippians 4, 6, and 7. It's, it's don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your request before God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. If I want that peace that's gonna guard my heart and my mind, I begin with thanking God. Thank you that you're my provision. Thank you for that you're my source. Thank you that when I walk away from these things that can tangle me up and keep me bogged down, that I can trust you with everything. 
Thank you for my healing. Thank you for my hope. Thank you for my satisfaction. Thank you for my value. Thank you for my, my security because I know whose I am and, and where I am in you. Thank you, Jesus, for these things. And begins to change us. What, what do I dream of? Most Americans dream or daydream of something that can be bought. Do you, do you dream, if, if you're married, do you dream about your marriage? Do you dream about where you'll go or what you'll do or the things you wanna accomplish together? Do you dream about what your marriage can look like in five years, 10 years, 25 years? Big one, what controls me? It it saddens me because years of ministry and thousands of conversations, I hear people say, I really feel like God is calling me to do this. But the money says it doesn't make sense. I tell you, it's not about the money. When money has control of you, nothing is gonna make sense. And it's amazing that what we let control us, it it, it might be a relationship. And God says, there's so many things, this plan that I have for your life, this hope that I have for your future, and you're allowing something else to control your heart and not be fully submitted to me. And I, I, I get that we all, every, every call of God on our life is different and creates its own complexities and creates, it has its own set of challenges. I get that. And I know I'm making this very, very elementary just to say, well, it can't just be about the money. You got a plan. You got to be smart about this. But, but, but there are things that God is calling us to do that we become so, so uh, uh, held in bondage and control over these gods that we allow in our life that ultimately never fulfill us and keep us from the will of God. The invitation that Jesus gave to this rich young ruler was come follow me. And I don't know if he became a rich old ruler. I hope that he became a sold out, submitted follower of Jesus Christ that was so on fire for the gospel that he was turning towns upside down and he was part of the crew that followed Jesus at some point in his life. We know here he walked away sad. I don't want you to walk away from Jesus. But if your heart is gonna be tied to something other than him, He's gonna say, it's just not gonna work out for us because I wanna be Lord of all. I want you wholeheartedly submitted. And that's the same invitation that Jesus gives to us. Follow me. It's not that that God wants us broke, but he needs us broken. He needs us submitted to him wholeheartedly with everything. To say, Jesus, I'm not gonna let anything come between you and I and I'm gonna follow you and pursue you with everything I got. And Jesus said, when you do that, I got you. I got you. So when we ask the ultimate question in the series, are we there yet? There will be a day in heaven that every knee will bow and every tongue confess 
that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you and I aren't there yet, but here's the reality that we can live in, that right now, we have a crucified and resurrected Savior who is seated at the right hand of the Father in glory. And that right now, he rules and reigns on the throne. And we can live in that truth right now that he is ultimate, that he is on the throne, and he is who he says he is, and we can trust him with everything we've got. That's the invitation. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we, we thank you that, that, that you know us. Thank you for knowing us better than even we know us most of the time. And, and thank you for knowing what is best for us. Thank you for knowing what is really holding us back from the fullness of following you. God, we just thank you so much that you want more for us than we could ever know, we could ever think, we could ever dream, we could ever imagine. So we ask for your help to tear down those idols in our life. Tear down those things that we've allowed to take the place of you. Tear down those things in our life and free us from, a, from, from chasing these things that, that we think might bring us satisfaction, significance, security, ultimately salvation. We look to you, Jesus, and you alone for our salvation. I ask you to save people this morning. I ask you to set people free this morning from these things that just keep us so bound up. We love you. We thank you for the truth that you are on the throne, that you rule and reign even now, and that you are Lord, you are God, and we give you the glory for it. It's for your beautiful name we pray. Thank you for listening to this message from the Creek Church. We invite you to listen to other messages on this podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email us at info at